been defined as God's call for a response. And I want to preach with God's help this morning out of Luke 2 on the challenge of Christmas. The challenge of Christmas. God challenges us through the Scripture. Matter of fact, we are challenged by the Scripture. According to Hebrews chapter 4, I believe it's verse number uh, 12, we see that the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So we see the Word of God is... Uh, it is, challenges us because it's powerful. Uh, matter of fact, that's why we, we ask and, and, and want you to read God's Word because it's a powerful book. And it's, uh, it's an inspired, it's a living book. And so it's going to help you. It's going to search deep down inside the cracks and crannies and the, and the, and the closets of your heart. And it's going to bring out those things because it's a two-edged sword. It challenges us. It's a piercing challenge. Then there's the challenge of the Spirit. The challenge of the Spirit is the function of the Spirit. We see that in John chapter 16. It, it is uh, to convince men and women of sin, righteousness and judgment and those things there. And then there's the challenge of the saints. The challenge of the saints is uh, Christian people are to witness uh, to Christ and for Christ, the challenge of a sinful world. There's many challenges. Then there's the challenge of the seasons. We see the challenge of the seasons is, of course, uh, Easter. We, we, we make a big uh, thing around Easter and have lots of services. And we'll have a tomb out here by the road. And we have folks come by for three days and look in the tomb and stop by. And it's a great thing. We've seen people saved. We've seen people come to the church. And they see Jesus driving down Harrison Bridge. Road. They see the, the tomb and it causes them to reflect. There's a challenge there. But also the challenge of Christmas. It's, it's, uh, it's, it causes us when we come together this time of the year to focus on what God has for us. And there's considering a challenge for Christmas. I want us to focus on three main things this morning found in Luke chapter number 2. And I want us to look there starting in verse number 1. The Bible says this, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child, and so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid. The angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring unto you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. I thank God for that, by the way. By the way, we're not Calvinistic into some people, right? It's all people. It's a gospel to all nations. For unto you is born this day the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come and preach God's Word in this Christmas season. It's on everybody's mind. It's on everybody's heart. But Lord, sometimes on our minds and our hearts is the wrong things about Christmas. We have a very self-centered view of Christmas and it's all about us and about them and about 
their things. But Lord, we neglect what Christmas is all about. Lord, may we focus because there is a challenge that comes with it. And we see that in this story. And I pray that you'll bring that out for us today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to notice, number one, the circumstances of Christmas. The circumstances of Christmas. There was a, an eventful night that evening. If, I want you to kind of use your imagination, not for subjectivity. We've got to be careful about creating subjectivity in the Word of God where imagination sets in. But I can't help but to read my Bible and not imagine what's going on in this chaotic scene called the birth of Jesus Christ. A lot of times we'll look at nativity scenes and we'll think, oh, that looks peaceful, oh, that looks nice, and there's little Joseph and there's little Mary and that little baby just just laying there and there's little cows are behaving and the donkeys are behaving and, and uh, the sheep are behaving. And can you imagine the chaos really going on around there and the noise and, the, and, the, and all the things that's going on? Yet in this scene is a miracle that has taken place. And the circumstances that are surrounding this Christmas is found, and I want you to look at this, there's three key verses in this, in this chapter that I want us to see in these 11 verses. The first key verse is found in verse number 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. It's unto you this day. Unto you is born this day. So if we accept the Bible to be God's Word, and, and I would believe all of us in here would, if we believe this is God's holy Word, we are ob- obligated then to believe in a supernatural birth. Jesus was not born the way that you and I were born. Now, He was born of natural conception as far as natural uh, delivery, but it was not natural conception. It was the seed of a woman. Matter of fact, if you look in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, the Bible speaks of that seed, and it was united by the Spirit of God, the holy life of the Father, to produce an incarnate Son. We call it the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. And by the way, that is a major doctrine to our faith. If you deny the virgin birth, if you question the virgin birth and you call God merely man, though he was in the form of man and he had the robe of flesh on, he was not man. He was not sinful. He did not have sinful blood flowing through his veins. He was all God, yet all man, born of a virgin. The Bible says in Luke chapter 1, just the previous chapter ahead of Luke chapter 2 in verse 35, here's what Dr. Luke said. He said, The Holy Spirit shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which thou which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. This was uh, given an overshadowing. And overshadowing in the Greek, it means that this is a, a vaporous cloud that literally hovered over Mary. I believe this is the, 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 the manifestation of the Holy Spirit of God who overshadowed Mary and planted inside her womb the seed, which was what uh, was going to come nine months later, Jesus Christ. This happened, we call it, the virgin birth. If you want to know and see some, some uh, types of this overshadowing, look in the Old Testament. There's several mentions of an overshadowing. 
Matter of fact, if you go to 1 Kings chapter 8, you see Solomon walks into the temple. They bring the Ark of the Covenant into the temple and they have the, 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 the musicians and the trumpets and they have the priest and they're in there and it's a celebration because the Ark, which is the presence of God, comes into the temple and the cloud of God shows up. His presence show up and guess what? They had to stop what they were doing because they were so overwhelmed by the Spirit of God. We find that in 1 Kings chapter 8. I believe the same presence that overshadowed and filled that room uh, with His presence in 1 Kings 8 is the same cloud or that overshadowing that overshadowed Mary. The presence of God. By the way, Mary knew the presence of God. Oh yeah, there's people that worship Mary and by no means should we do that. But Mary was 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 a righteous gal. She was a, a, a good woman. And when God had to pick a, a woman that would bear the Son of God, the, the Christ child, He chose Mary. And by the way, that was no accident. She was chosen of God. And what a challenge this is to our hearts that no one can afford to ignore a person who was born into this world in a unique way. Only one birth this way. Only one birth this way. We can't comprehend it, but I'm telling you, only one man ever born this way, and his name is Jesus. We have to believe that. It's the miracle of, of a divine uh, performance. It's a miracle of a divine providence. He said, unto this day, this day, unto you this day is born. The city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. It, it was a certain day. Have you ever considered the timing of Christ's birth? Think about it. These census, historians say that these census that was taking place by Caesar Augustus was not a common thing. This was a very rare thing. And yet, the timing of this brought about the Christ child. God actually used a a politician and a census to bring Mary and Joseph to their native land called Bethlehem. According to historians, this was just a one-of-a-kind deal. And yet, bringing about the birth of Christ, the right time, Joseph and Mary uh, lived in Nazareth, but in spite of Mary's condition, being with child, the census required them to journey a long way to Bethlehem from Nazareth. And in addition to this unusual course of events, the world had to be prepared for the coming of the Christ. It was a supernatural thing, a divine providence. Hey, here's the third thing. It's a miracle of divine prophecy. Because in verse 11 it says, Unto you is born this day in the city of David. Out of 333 prophecies in the Old Testament about a New Testament event, 333 prophecies, all of them were fulfilled in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Think about that. Another proof that the Word of God is, in fact, the Word of God. Another proof that you can take this book and you can believe it. Why? Because all of these different prophets prophesied about a coming Messiah that would be born. And listen, they didn't just say He would be born. They actually told the location where He would be born. Micah said, hey, little Bethlehem, though thou be little... Out of you is going to come the Son of God. Hey, that was prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus came. And yet it was a unique divine prophecy. You think about that. He said this, 
shall come forth out of me in, in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. But thou, Bethlehem, Euphrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is, to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old and from everlasting. I believe it was Dr. A.T. Pearson who said that the Messiah must have a birthplace. Three continents exist, Europe, Asia, Africa, that were known to the ancient world at that time. Asia was chosen, but had, Asia had many countries, and one of them indicated a little country known as the Land of Promise, which was Palestine. Here were three districts in Palestine. There was Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. And it was Judea that is the elect one, the selected one. But here again, many villages uh, existed in this little area of Judea. One of them was Bethlehem. And to make the prediction more definite and certain, it is Bethlehem as in the land of Judah. Think about this. All of the places that Jesus could have been born and they chose little Bethlehem. We see that this is the circumstances of Christmas. But then we see the crime of Christmas. The crime of Christmas. The Bible says, look with me in verse number 7 of Luke 2. Verse 7, And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Joseph and Mary, you can imagine of this long journey that they have come from Nazareth to, to Bethlehem, arrived at the wayside inn. Just a little hotel there in Bethlehem and requested accommodation for the night and they were told that there was no room. I've heard many messages preached on no room for Jesus. You probably have heard messages preached no room for Jesus. Even songs sung around Christmas time, no room for Jesus. And yet this innkeeper, his refusal to take in these weary travelers have been the crime of Christmas throughout centuries. If there's ever one little dark spot in this whole chapter, it would be that the innkeeper who had a... Listen, would we not have celebrated the innkeeper if he would have opened his doors and said, Hey, we got room here. It would have been the most famous hotel in history. Could you imagine he would have said, Hey, the Christ child was born here. The Messiah was born here. But at the time he said, No room. And by the way, we look through centuries and say, What a crime. To turn away the king of kings. Did he know what he was turning away? Oh, many people believe that he didn't. But let me just say this. If it was prophesied hundreds and hundreds of years that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. If the shepherds knew about it and the angels knew about it. Joseph and Mary knew about it. Simeon and Anna knew about it. Why didn't the innkeeper know about it? The crime of Christmas... I believe we see several things. First, we see the sin of a woeful ignorance. There was no room for them in the end is what verse 7 says. The innkeeper is without excuse is what I believe. I've tried to maybe wrap my mind a little bit about the story. And again, it's not a hill worth dying on. I'm not going to argue whether he knew or whether he didn't know. But but I know this, a, a woman comes to your door in the middle of the night and she's Great with child, and she's dirty, and she's hungry, and she's thirsty. And you turn her away. You look at her and say, we have no more room. You say, well, pastor, what if, what if they didn't have any more rooms available? Why not give up your room? 
There was a woeful ignorance. I believe that human nature characteristically deteriorates in a woeful ignorance concerning God and His dealings with men. I believe this. I believe we live in an age when, when, when uh, His gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ can be heard and read throughout all known means of communication and yet there is still appalling ignorance of what God has accomplished uh, through Christ for salvation into this world and no one has an excuse to be ignorant of the tremendous event that took place on the first night of Christmas. There's also a sin of willful indifference. The Bible says there was no room for them in the end in verse 7, so there's no excuse for this man to be indifferent. What I mean by indifferent is non-compassionate because two verses above that, in verse number 5, look at it in Luke 2 and verse 5, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. This man turned away a woman who was great with child. He had no consideration for this woman. He had no compassion for this woman. And how typical is this of men and women in our day and our generation who have no compassion The Bible tells us that in Christ, in Christ alone, all other gifts are mediated to a world in need. And the Bible says in Romans 8, chapter 8, and verse 32, that uh, God that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? Not to receive Christ is to despise every other gift that comes through Christ. This is the sin of willful indifference. But then there's another sin in this crime of Christmas. It's the sin of worldly involvement. There was no room for them in the end. And here's what I've always believed about this. Undoubtedly, this innkeeper refused Joseph and Mary because he was just too busy. Now you think about this for a minute. All of these people are converging on Bethlehem for the census. His rates have went up. His rooms have went up. He's got business now and he's having to do all these things to keep these people happy. And when this woman and this man shows up, he has no time to meet their need. And I wonder today how many people are sitting in our churches that have no time for Jesus. It's like those two women that went out to eat at a nice restaurant and the waiter come up and he said, Hey, ladies, can I help you this, this evening? I'm going to get you something to drink and take your order here in just a minute. Are we celebrating anything? And the ladies said, oh, Of course we're celebrating something. A new baby has been born. He said, Well, congratulations. That's wonderful. Where's he at? And the lady said, oh, he's not with us. We left him back at the house because he doesn't know we're celebrating. He's too young. And I thought to myself, what a perfect example of what we do with Jesus every time this year. It's his birthday. It's the birth of Jesus Christ. It's the Savior's day. It belongs to him. And guess what churches will do? Hey, I'm not being angry. I'm not being upset. But churches will cancel their services. On the day of his birth. We're not having church today. We, we need to just stay home with family. Why do you have family? Who gave them to you? 
Church, God gives us life and God gives us things and yet we to cancel on His day. What if it was your birthday? And everybody said, yeah, it's your birthday. Hope you enjoy it, but we're not celebrating it. Or we'll celebrate your birthday, but uh, you can stay home. We don't need you here. That'd be a weird birthday, wouldn't it? Yet that happens just about every Christmas. Well, we get so wrapped up in family and things. And Listen, I love the family aspect. No doubt there's some of you here today because family has invited you and you are having a family get-together. We'll have one next week with my family, and I'm looking forward to that. But guess whose birthday it is? Why are we coming together? We're coming together because of Him. He must be invited, but we are too busy. Listen, have your things on Saturday. Have your things on Sunday afternoon. Have your things on early Sunday morning. But when it comes time for us to worship the King of Kings, stop what you're doing and let's worship Him and give Him the preeminence that He deserves. Oh, there was no room because I believe this man was just too busy. Listen, if you're too busy to read God's Word, if you're too busy to talk to the, to the author and the finisher of our faith, if you're too busy to talk to the creator of the universe, if you're too busy to spend time with Jesus, especially around His birth, then you're just too busy. And we're living in a busy world, aren't we? Aren't we living? Everybody's busy. Even retired folk are busy. You know, you retire to get busy. Or I hope you stay busy after retirement. Some of you like, I'm tired of being busy. But people just get busy. We live in a fast-paced world. We now order our, our food from the phone on an app because we don't even want to take time to talk to somebody. Right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of you looking at elbowing each other. Some of his ribs are going to hurt. Better watch how hard you elbow people fall out on the floor. Y'all understand we get too busy. We, we don't even want to even communicate. We don't even want time. Listen, now, and I'm not opposed to this, but now you can get your groceries delivered to your door, even out in Woodruff, South Carolina. And by the way, when that started, we were praising the Lord. But can I say, we've gotten real busy, haven't we? And sometimes we're so busy that even the Lord Himself is not invited I want us to notice, lastly, the claims of Christmas. Look at verse 11, if you would, with me. I keep going back to verse 11 because it's such a major focal point on this, in this chapter. He said, for unto you is born this day. But the key word is not you. And the key word, a phrase, is not the city of David. The key word in verse number 11 is a Savior. A Savior. And I believe this angelic announcement spells out God's claim upon every life that has ever breathed, that has ever been born. The names and the titles of our Savior were, were carefully chosen and placed in God's Word that we might understand it more richly and more better from the very beginning that Jesus Christ came into this world to claim and to save people Alive for His great name. And we see that Christ has come into this world to, for a saving claim upon your life and upon my life. Because the Bible says in verse 11, unto you is born a Savior. 
So when the angel appeared to Joseph, the announcement of his coming birth of Christ, he said, Thou shalt call his name Jesus. Call his name Jesus. There's no name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved than that of the name of Jesus. And he shall save his people from their sins. In Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21. Man's greatest need. Man's greatest need today is not money. Man's greatest need today is not a job. It's not even education. Man's greatest need today is a savior. And Jesus came in verse 11. He was born and he was born unto us in the city of David. And he was a savior to us. He's born this day in the city of David, uh, which is uh, Christ the Lord. This is man's greatest need. There is a sense in which he has everything but a savior man Prophets and priests and lawgivers have preceded the coming of Jesus Christ. But there was still no final solution of man's sin. What man needs is not a message. It's it's not a way of worship or even a standard of living. Man needed a Savior. And if a man is drowning out in a sea and he needs more than a voice that attracts his attention, he needs more than just someone to give him instructions on swimming techniques, on how to get out of danger, he needs a Savior. And 27 years ago as a 13-year-old boy, lost in my sin, I needed a Savior. And until you reach that point in your life, until you've realized that, hey, there's a lot of things that I thought I needed. There's a lot of things that I wish I needed or wish I had. But there's one thing that we cannot go without, and that is a Savior. And He was given to us in Luke chapter 2. He was born for you and me. There's the saving claim upon your life. I hope that every one of you today has been saved by God's grace. I hope every one of you today can say without a doubt that you have been saved, that you've experienced the salvation that Christ can only bring. But secondly, we see a spiritual claim upon our life. He said, unto you is born a Savior, which is Christ. Which is Christ. The the word Christ or the title Christ means the anointed one. It is a term which marks him as a prophet. It is a term which marks him as a priest. It is a term that marks him even as king uh, upon whom the Holy Spirit came. And, And without measure, this only points up to the fact that God's claim upon our life is essentially a spiritual claim. It is one that we've been quickened from death unto life. We are totally unqualified to stand in God's presence as we are. We needed salvation. And yet, the Bible says in John chapter 4 and verse 24, God is a spirit and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Let me ask you this this morning. Are you alive to God? Have you responded to the spiritual challenge of Jesus Christ? Here lastly is a sovereign claim upon your life. Notice verse 11 one more time. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ. And the last two words is the word, or the words, the Lord. The Lord. Every, do you believe that every word was put into your Bible on purpose? Of course it is. 
Oh, he could have said, if they wanted to, they could have translated that as Savior, which is Jesus. They could have said a Savior, which is Christ. But what they do? They called him prophet, priest, and king, the Lord. What's the Lord mean? The preeminent one. Lord over all. And here's where we miss it. The world will never be right until Jesus Christ reigns as King of kings and Lord of lords. No matter what politician you put in to the White House. No matter one you think, uh, well, this guy could really turn our country or our world around. Or this guy can, can really do it. No, no, no. The only person that will make things right is Jesus Christ the Lord. He will rule and reign forever and ever. He's the one. He's the one. And and so your life will never know peace. Your life will never know purpose. Your life will never know power until Jesus Christ reigns with unchallenged sovereignty in your life. You are crowded. Your life is filled with all kinds of things in it. Let me tell you, it's time for you to do a, a deep clean, a spring cleaning around Christmas time. Filled with junk and things that's fighting for number one. Let me tell you something. Jesus is Lord whether you make Him Lord or not. But it'd be much better for you in your walk with God if you made Him Lord right now. The Bible says that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen, one day every knee is going to confess or every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. So why not get in practice right now? You ought to make Him Lord of your life every day. You know how you make Him Lord? You talk to Him. You know how you make Him Lord? You walk with Him. You know how to make Him Lord? You live for Him. You know how to make Him Lord? You worship Him. We, we almost put God on the back burner and He's like Sunday God. He's Sunday Lord. And, and on Monday we do something else. But hold on a second. He's Lord on Sunday, but He's also Lord on Monday. He's Lord on Easter, but He's also Lord on Christmas. He's Lord in 2022, but guess what? He's going to be, he's going to be Lord in 3022 if we're still here. Let me just say this. I'd much rather have a, a church that makes much of Jesus. Oh, you say, Pastor, I wish our church had this, and I wish we had this, and I wish we had that program, and I wish we had this, and I wish we had a bigger building, I wish we had air conditions at work, I wish we had uh, uh, more seating, I wish, you know, different. Hey, I wish some of those things too, but hold on a second. One thing that we cannot miss is we cannot miss the Lord of Luke chapter 2. When people walk through those doors back here and walk back here, hey, they ought to, when they pull up on this property, they say one thing about that church there is they preach Jesus and He is Lord. He is preeminent over everything. The Bible says in, in uh, Romans chapter 14 and verse number 9, Christ both died and rose and revived that He might be Lord both of the dead and the living. In other words, the full purpose of this Advent season is that God might reign in the hearts of men through His beloved Son, Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this this morning, church. Have you given Him unconditional surrender? That's something that's very rarely preached today. Surrender. You don't hear of it. You just don't. And the reason is we just don't look at lordship the way that we should. We should surrender our lives to His will. Whatever, Lord, 
I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll be what you want me to be. I'll say what you want me to say. I'll witness to who you want me to witness to. You're Lord. You're the King. I worship you. I follow you. Lord, you're every. Hey, have we surrendered? Oh, but, 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 but God, don't, don't take that from me. God, you, you can't have that. God, I don't want to give that. That's mine. No, 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 no. Who gave you that? Oh, Lord, I can't give that away. Listen, we, we look at our children. We look at our kids, and we think they're our children. Now, God gave them to us. We find that in the Psalms, and it's wonderful. I think Psalms 127, we find some things about the family, and we look through, and God has gifted us children, but really, are they, are they ours? Does our children really belong to us? No, they belong to God. What do we do? We've, we've been given to raise these children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and raise them in a good family, in a good church, only to see them do what's been put into them. Why? Well, they belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything that we have. Here then is the supreme challenge of Christmas that I give you this morning. And it's difficult. Y'all don't understand how difficult it is for a preacher to preach a Christmas message. It's difficult. You say, Pastor, it shouldn't be difficult. It is. I, I have problems with topical messages. I just do. Forgive me. I like preaching through books of the Bible. I like diving into different things, different series and all. But when it comes to Christmas, I get nervous. Like I, you can ask my wife, I, I just, I don't know what it is. Easter and Christmas, I like, I, I just flip out. But really, I shouldn't because when we look at the text, it kind of preaches itself where we're challenged by Christmas. There's really no need for... Honestly, if I got up this morning and I read the second chapter of Luke and shut my Bible and prayed, we, sh we still should have an altar call. Because it challenges us without any of man's interpretation or any of man's proclamation. Not only the circumstances that we have considered and the awful crime that was penetrated by year after year, but these claims of Jesus Christ upon your life. What will you do with them? What is your response to the challenge of the Christmas season? We have seven days left until we officially celebrate the birth of our Savior. You say, Pastor, I've not done a very good job this Christmas season of celebrating the birth of our Savior. Here's my challenge to you this morning. My challenge to our church this morning, and I said this in the earlier service, is why don't you take what you have heard this morning out of Luke's Gospel and tell it to somebody else. The birth of Jesus Christ See, there's people, and I believe this, I read in a, in, a, in a poll this week from Barna Group, I believe it was, that the Christmas season will see more guests come, more unchurched guests come, listen to this, by 60% than Easter. 60% of unchurched people are more likely to come to a Christmas service than an Easter service. That is an, that's incredible. Well, if that's telling me something about Christmas and how special it is, and it is, it's very special. I love it. It's my favorite. I, I love Christmas. I love what it stands for. Why are we bottling that in? 
and keeping it to ourselves and not sharing it with others. If Jesus Christ came to this earth for you, for me, and the Bible says for all people, then why are we not sharing it? The only hope this society has is a local church to tell others about Jesus Christ. And if you'll find this, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not being trying to put ourselves up or make ourselves better than anybody, God knows. But a lot of churches that you'll visit, they're not interested in telling others about Jesus Christ. You say, Pastor, I just, I don't know about, I mean, how does that, I don't either. You say, Pastor, how do we, how do we reach our community with the gospel? How do we share our faith? How do we do that? Hey, take what you've heard this morning in Luke's gospel and realize, hey, he is my Savior. He came to this earth and, and he can be your Savior if you'll trust him today. Share the good news of the gospel, especially around the best time of the year. Go get you some gospel literature in our foyer. Put it in your Bible or stick it in your purse or in your suit or uh, your suit pockets or your, um, uh, your, your coat or whatever and, or stick it in your pants pocket and just go tell a waitress. Go tell somebody at the grocery store. You have seven days. And, and of course, after that, we can share the good news anytime, but seven days leading up to Christmas that we can share the birth of Jesus Christ and how he came to mankind for us. That's why we celebrate. That's the reason you'll come back this evening at 5 and hear beautiful music and see a wonderful production from our church. What's that all centered about? Is that promoting the church? Oh, absolutely not. It's promoting Jesus. Our lives should promote Jesus. That's why 